Welcome, everybody, at another episode of the Wrestling vs. the World podcast. If you are enjoying your day, awesome. If not, what the frick ever. Now, this episode and the next episode, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, this is not going to be like a standard episode of the podcast that I've been doing since episode two where I just cover one specific topic. If anybody has ever gone back and watched the first episode of the podcast, you know the original format where I have a specific subject matter and there are going to be five different topics related to that subject matter that I'm going to do throughout the entire episode. So that first episode was talking about Survivor Series. And today's episode and the next episode are going to be in the same format because this episode and the next one, I had these episodes mapped out back in November, 29, November December 2019, right after I got the first episode done. And I figured, you know what? I found the notes. Why don't I finally just do these episodes instead of just letting these sit by the wayside? So today, this episode is going to be talking about CM Punk. I've got five different subject matters regarding him in WWE. I know by the time I'm recording this episode, this is after the whole media scrum with AEW. But still, even despite all that, I'm still going to talk about him. But just not his AEW stuff. This is all going to be WWE related. So there's going to be five different subjects regarding CM Punk that I'm going to talk about. And we're just going to kick right into it. The first one is going to be the opener, talking about a little CM Punk fun fact. Kind of like what I do with the Survivor Series, talk about that. So a bit of a fun fact with CM Punk is that in WWE history, I calculate he's about the fifth guy to turn between face and heel during a world title reign. The other four men that I found were Macho Man Randy Savage, because he turned heel while he was champion back in 1989, before the whole Mega Powers exploded, when the whole Mega Powers exploded. The Rock, I think you could kind of count him because he was technically a babyface when the bell rang for him to become WWF champion. Then after he was already the bell rang, he was officially champion. He turned heel by joining the corporation. So turned heel after the bell rang. I guess you could say he was already faced as a champion. Then turned heel right afterwards. Stone Cold in 2001, he bounced back and forth with babyface and heel a little bit because the invasion storyline. Yeah, I guess you could say. And then, of course, I think you could count Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series 2002 because he was a babyface as the match was concluding when Paul Heyman turned on him. And then he was champion right after, no longer champion after dropping the belt to Big Show. So he turned babyface during a match while he was still champion. So I guess you could count that. So CM Punk, when he turned heel with, during his 434-day title reign, you could technically say he's probably the fifth man to turn face or heel during a world title reign, depending on your interpretation. Now for the lower mid-card subject of the whole video. Uh, talk about some a few random tag team matches that CM Punk had in WWE on pay-per-view because there were four weird pay-per-view matches where just out of nowhere, he's in a tag match on pay-per-view. So I found four instances. The first one was Armageddon 2007. Out of nowhere, he was teaming with Kane to go against Big Daddy V and Mark Henry on a pay-per-view. One of these things just doesn't belong here. I mean, you got two monstrous heels, Big Daddy V and Mark Henry, and a monster heel or monster babyface of Kane for the babyface side, and then you have CM Punk, who is not in the same physique range as both those men, so that tag team match just seemed out of nowhere. Another instance, Judgment Day 2008. Who did CM Punk team with? Once again, Kane. This time he took on John Morrison and The Miz. I mean, at this point, I think Kane was still ECW champion, so this and Punk was money, Mr. Money in the Bank, so it's just like, what happened here? I don't think there was even a bill to this. Uh, the next one, Vengeance 2011, 
It made a little sense because there was a storyline going into this, but still a bit of an eyeball team. Triple H and CM Punk teamed up against Awesome Truth. I mentioned this during the CM Punk Not So Perfect 2011 video episode. But it's just like it felt a little off and like Awesome Truth still won. So that was whatever. And then the fourth instance of a rant, what seemed like a random tag team match, mainly because this didn't, this whole pairing didn't last long after this. Survivor Series 2013, when CM Punk teamed with Daniel Bryan, the best and the GOAT, or whatever tag team name they had, against the Wyatt family. Because they were doing this whole feud going against the Wyatt family, then that transition, because afterwards, the team of Daniel Bryan and CM Punk split off, because then CM Punk focused on a feud with The Shield, and Daniel Bryan continued his feud with the Wyatt family. So this was just like a one-off sudden thing before CM Punk eventually left the company. So it's like, hey. Now we get to the mid-card subject of the episode. Top 5 CM Punk matches in WWE. Now, I know there's like a plethora of matches because CM Punk had a lot of highly acclaimed matches throughout his tenure in WWE over the years. But I narrowed it down to 5 matches that I feel this could be in a particular order or not. But again, this is all subjective, because just like top lists are. Number 5. Extreme Rules 2012 for his uh, Chicago Street fight against Chris Jericho. Fantastic match. I felt it was just a bit better than the WrestleMania 28 match. Build was awesome. Brutality. Even though they did recycle some spots that you saw with the unsanctioned street fight between Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels in Unforgiven 2008, it was still an awesome street fight regardless. Uh, number four. I've got the no disqualification match from SummerSlam 2013 against Brock Lesnar. The best versus the beast. All stemming from when CM Punk got stabbed in the back by Paul Heyman and Money in the Bank. Saying that, and Paul Heyman said, without Paul Heyman, CM Punk is not the best in the world. Called on the Beast. Brawl was going on, and CM Punk said that, hey, Beasts are on this earth to be slaughtered. And he took Brock Lesnar to the limit. This was before Brock came, went, the whole, went through the whole Suplex City stuff and conquering the streak and everything. It was still an awesome notice qualification, no holds barred match, whatever freaking handle they can put on there. They're essentially the same thing, but still, still an intense match. Number three, the February 25th, 2013 edition of Raw, the match that he had against John Cena. John Cena's title shot at WrestleMania 29 against The Rock was on the line. Intense back and forth match. Their second best match one-on-one -on -one against each other. This one I felt better than Night of Champions 2012 and SummerSlam 2011 and all that. Fantastic back and forth match. Like Even Paul, CM Punk pulling off the pile driver, which of course he got some backstage heat from for Vince, but Punk didn't give a shit. I mean, Cena's taken the pile driver before. He knows how to be careful with it. He's taken it from Shawn Michaels before. Still an incredible match. And a rare time where John Cena actually got a one-on-one -on -one victory over CM Punk at this point. Because I think they had times where CM Punk lost to Cena prior to this. I think no later than 2011. But at matches other than that, Punk kept getting the best of Cena one-on-one. -on -one. Number two. One match that, even with the slightly off-finish... I still find this to be a five-star classic. His match at Over the Limit 2012 against Daniel Bryan, one of the last pay-per-view matches he would have as a babyface while his title reign was going on. Fantastic technical match, better than the match later on in Money in the Bank. Back and forth, technical prowess. Daniel Bryan getting pinned right before CM Punk tapped out. Just a phenomenal match. No doubt about it. And of course, number one, you all could predict this probably from a mile away, Money in the Bank 2011, his match against John Cena. Build was incredible. The action was amazing. The crowd was red hot, back and forth. Five-star classic without a shadow of a doubt. Mind-blowing match. At the end, John Cena was had the STF on Punk. 
Sean Laryngitis and Vince McMahon tried to do a Montreal screwjob best fitness to make sure the championship stayed in WWE. Cena put a stop to it, got back in the ring, boom, GTS, and that's it. And Punk blew Vince a kiss goodbye and said, fuck you, and ran off. Awesome match. One of the best matches in WWE history as well. So some people may agree with that list, some may not. But if you want to give your own top five list, you're more than free to do so in the comment section below. I actually encourage that. Now for the upper mid-card section of the episode, CM Punk's hidden gem WWE matches. And I wrote down five matches that sometimes they do get the credit they deserve and sometimes they don't really get all that much recognition. Matches that I feel that are well done and some that are amazing that just don't get enough credit. So the first off match, I cannot believe I'm saying this because of one of the competitors who I, people know I've been vocal about. The Triple Threat match is Survivor Series 2007 against The Miz and John Morrison. Pretty very A very solid Triple Threat match. Pretty much overshadowed because people remember both world title matches better and that tag match where with Triple H, Jeff Hardy, Kane, and I can't remember if they had somebody else. It was either a 5-on-4 or 5-on-3 tag team Survivor Series match, but you remember those three matches over the Triple Threat ECW Championship match, but that was still a very solid match that... You know, should get a little bit more recognition for that. Uh, number two match I felt was also very solid. Not the mo best overall match, but still a solid world title match. SummerSlam 2008 when you went up against JBL. Pretty solid back and forth match, even though JBL was only number one contender just because. And you probably remember it because both men collided heads a little bit after... I think it was CM Punk did like a spinning back heel kick or something, and then both men hit heads after JBL fell on him. Still a very solid overall one-on-one -on -one match. Uh, third match, a match that absolutely nobody talks about because everybody remembers their match later on over the limit. The Extreme Rules 2010 match against Rey Mysterio where just the stipulation of CM Punk's hair being on the line was in there. You remember the kind of brief match at WrestleMania. You remember the awesome match and the post-match stipulation concluding at over the limit. But this was still a really damn good match with Rey and CM Punk at, over, at Extreme Rules. Where, again, the hair stipulation was the only thing going, and nobody remembers it, sadly. Fourth match, Triple Threat TLC match the at TLC 2011. CM Punk, The Miz, Alberto Del Rio for the WWE Championship. Great main event. Rare, rare pay-per-view where actually John Cena was not in it, so they main evented the show. Punk managed to retain the championship despite being handcuffed to the bottom rope. Really damn good match. Great way to conclude the pay-per-view. And, of course, number five, a match that I think a lot of people probably still remember and praise, but still pretty damn good, but people probably remember the 2012 matches better. The Payback 2013 match he Punk had against Jericho, his return match after being away for a couple months, following WrestleMania. Chicago crowd, Punk was turning babyface and was going to go on with the stuff with Heyman and everything, but still a really damn good return match and everything, and Punk coming with the freaking mun chops and everything, looking like Wolverine and all that shit. Really damn good match. And now we got to conclude with the main event. I could have done this as a solo episode of the podcast, but so many people cover it, so it's like, why not include this here? Because when I was mapping out this episode, this was around the time Punk was being announced to be part of WWE backstage, so I thought, you know what, this would be a good way to be a main event topic. And that is CM Punk's 434-day title reign with the WWE Championship from Survivor Series 2011 all the way until until he dropped the championship at Royal Rumble. But there's all, I'm also going to cover some of the pre-stuff because it's going to be kind of mirroring some of the stuff that I said in the not-so-perfect 2011 run video. But you know what? 
I'm going to get that in order to give context for the 434 day tower rank. June 20th, 2011, Punk wins a triple threat match on Raw against Rey Mysterio and Alberto Del Rio to become the number one contender of the WWE Championship, and then reveals that, hey, once Money in the Bank is over at midnight, my contract expires and I'm leaving. Then the following week, June 27, he cuts that infamous pipe bomb. Everybody knows it. It got the wrestling world buzzing. And Money in the Bank, he ends up winning the championship for the very WWE Championship for the very first time, exits, and you think, oh, no more CM Punk. And WWE Championship is gone. But then eight days later, he comes back. Rematch is set up for SummerSlam because John Cena's also been WWE Champion slight during that tiny bit of period between the time he won the championship and when CM Punk came back. So we had two WWE Champions because Cena was temporary champion. So we thought, hey, let's make an undisputed champion with Triple H as referee. Punk wins despite Cena's flipping on the rope at SummerSlam. And then afterwards, Kevin Nash comes out, Jackknife Powerbomb. Alberto Del Rio successfully cashes in. And now Del Rio is WWE Champion. Yay. Then you had the issue of the next three pay-per-views where Punk lost. At Night of Champions, he lost an ODQ match to Triple H. He lost with the one pinned in the triple threat at Hell in a Cell to Del Rio and John Cena. And then he took the pin also in the tag match against Awesome Truth at Vengeance. Now we get onto the road again back to Survivor Series and bringing up his 434-day title reign. Getting a little tongue-tied because there's a lot of information to go through. The... October 31st, 2011 edition of Raw, CM Punk came out and demanded a title shot at Survivor Series against Alberto Del Rio. Del Rio said no, so he put him in the Anaconda Vice and pretty much forced him, okay, see, si, senor, you'll get the title match and all that shit. So he gets to Survivor Series, Madison Square Garden, Punk comes out with being announced to the ring by Howard Finkel, rest in peace Finkel, and with the Anaconda Vice once again, gets the submission victory, the beginning of the 434 days Howard reign begins for CM Punk. Now, of course, the big first pay-per-view he had for title defense, TLC, against Del Rio and The Miz, and I mentioned in the three-part series for the card subject to change, match change special. At one brief point, it was a fatal four-way. He was going to have Cena, but Cena gave up his title shot, so it became a triple threat again. And as I just mentioned, Punk retained in the triple threat TLC match against Alberto Del Rio and The Miz. Then you go into 2012, he's starting to get into a few with John Laurinaitis. Mr. John Laurinaitis! You know that guy. And in Royal Rumble, he's putting the title up against Dolph Ziggler with John Laurinaitis as a second special guest referee. Ziggler was a non-factor in the whole feud because it was a whole focus on Punk, Laurinaitis, and if Laurinaitis will screw CM Punk. But then you get the whole rule that if John Laurinaitis is being an impartial referee, he's fired. So Punk has a match and pins Dolph Ziggler to retain the championship and... John Laurinaitis helped count the three right at the end, just to try to take credit. Like, oh, see, I was impartial. Then you get into the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. He, CM Punk retains in the opening match at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Retains in the chamber, and you started to... It was when Chris Jericho was in there. Jericho never got pinned, fell through the door, and this would eventually also lead to their title match at WrestleMania. They have the match, but the rule is... If C that was made right before CM Punk made his entrance that if he gets disqualified, he will lose the championship and Jericho tried to taunt Jer CM Punk to fall for it and give in to anger and everything. Did not work. Punk got the win after getting the Anaconda Vice on Jericho and retained the championship. Then things get more personal because Jericho was still talking about Punk's father being an alcoholic and his sister being a drug addict. And they finally set up a street fight, as I mentioned, at Extreme Rules. Phenomenal match. 
brutal back and forth. Like I said, the repeated spots that Shawn and Shawn Michaels and Jericho had Unforgiven 2008, but still an amazing match regardless. Punk retained the championship with the GTS in his own hometown to conclude that one-on-one -on -one feud. Then you get to Over the Limit. Get a one-on-one -on -one match, Daniel Bryan versus CM Punk. Phenomenal back-and-forth match, technical classic, five-star match without a shadow of a doubt. Punk barely gets the win via pinfall about a second or two before tapping out, and that led to Daniel Bryan say, like, saying, hey, I should get another title shot. Well, you would. The next pay-per-view at No Way Out. Triple threat match that would also include Kane. All three men together were kind of being the love interest of AJ Lee, who was going through a bit of a mental breakdown during this period. She wasn't full-on crazy yet, but you could tell she's kind of distraught and kind of clinging to anybody who will give her attention. Triple threat match happens. CM Punk retains. I believe he pinned Kane. But this is not over with Daniel Bryan because, hey, Daniel Bryan wants to marry AJ Lee. He proposes to her before Money in the Bank. She says yes. But then it's also announced she's going to be the special guest referee in their no DQ match in Money in the Bank. Punk and Daniel Bryan have their match. CM Punk retains after a big back superplex. Off the top rope to Daniel Bryan through a table in the ring, and AJ Lee counts three. Punk retains the championship, and then the next night is when everything changes because that next night, John Cena announces that the following week he was going to cash in his Money in the Bank contract to get a WWE Championship match against CM Punk. Did not want to just suddenly cash in; he wanted Punk at his best. So the next week, July twenty third, two thousand twelve, Raw. Raw 1000, the main event, the WWE Championship match is being on the put titles being put on the line in the match. But earlier in that Raw show, after Daniel Bryan got left at the altar by AJ Lee, CM Punk was talking to Daniel Bryan that out came The Rock, and out that a Royal Rumble, he's getting a WWE title shot against whoever the champion is, so get ready. And Punk started to feel disrespected by the great one. Now you fast forward to the main event. CM Punk retains the WWE Championship because John Cena wins via disqualification because Big Show interferes, attacks John Cena, disqualification, thus making John Cena the first ever unsuccessful Money in the Bank holder to ever try to cash in. And then afterwards, The Rock comes down, he's making the save, attacks the Big Show, going for the people's elbow, and Punk jumps in the ring feeling upstaged and disrespected by The Rock, hits a clothesline, GTS, boom, heel turn, so as I said, he turned heel during his WWE title reign. Started saying that he's tired of not being respected despite being WWE champion. Which got repetitive. It's like, show me respect, respect me, respect me, respect these nuts. Anyway, now you go to SummerSlam. And Punk is booked by his by AJ Lee, who's now the general manager of Raw. At SummerSlam, he's going to defend the WWE Championship against Big Show and John Cena in Trouble Threat. At the end, John Cena gets the AA onto the Big Show. Then CM Punk goes in there throws Cena out of the ring, and gets the pin on the Big Show, so picked up the scraps of what Cena left behind and retained the WWE Championship. Now, you get to this afterwards, and Punk was starting to be heel, saying that he's not going to fight whenever he wants. It was on Labor Day of 2012. He now said, hey, I was, I'm was i supposed to face you, Sheamus, champion versus champion, but I don't want to. So he decides to leave, and AJ Lee is like, what are you doing? He's like, hey, I got personal days for taking time off when I want. Today's one of them. And he leaves, and you think, oh, the champion's gone. Well, then later on in the main event, John Cena and Alberto Del Rio have a false count anywhere match. And CM Punk, when they're fighting backstage, CM Punk comes, suddenly comes back, attacks Cena, costs him the match, and gets in a car to drive away. And who's driving the car? Paul Heyman. The very same man who CM Punk credited for saving his WWE career by seeing something in him that nobody else saw. 
We saw this big alliance between both men. I mean, Punk did not need a manager, but you know when you see their real-life like kinship there, it makes sense. Like I said, it wasn't necessary, but it may, but it worked very, very well. Now you get tonight, champions. John Cena is getting a one-on-one match for the WWE Championship. And if you remember that Raw before the pay-per-view, the night where we infamously remember Lawler having his heart attack, they were in Montreal. I believe they were in Montreal. Bret Hart was there, and Cena was cutting a back-and-forth promo with Punk and saying that he needs to shut the fuck up and stop demanding respect and being a bitch and all that shit. Saying that if you want respect, you earn it. Don't try to re- retain their championship by any means necessary. Saying that you say you're going to win tonight, champions, but I'm going to kick your ass. Well, we get tonight, champions. And Punk retains the championship because it ends in a double pinfall draw. Because Cena, he, was he, I think it was a German suplex, almost like a back suplex, but it was pretty much German suplex off the second rope to Punk. Both men's shoulders were down. And in the events of a draw, in a one-on-one match, the championship stays on the champion. Then Cena tried to argue with it, saying, oh, can I get something? But then Punk lays him out with the championship anyway, so Punk still retains by the skin of his teeth. Now you get to Hell in a Cell... They were gonna have, they were teasing that it could have been Cena versus Punk, but Cena had to get some bone spurs out of his arm, so instead, it was Punk versus Ryback. Yay! So you get, you get Punk versus Wetback. Lovely. Wetback was freaking red hot at this point, undefeated, feed me more, and you had Brad Maddox as a special guest referee. And arguably one of the most biggest letdown matches in Hell in a Cell history. Ryback was going to go for Shell Shock. Brad Maddox was like, whoa, 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 hold on. Low blow on Ryback. Punk takes that moment to roll up Ryback. Fast count. Winning streak is over for Ryback. Punk retains, but Ryback gets revenge with a Shell Shock on top of the cell to close the pay-per-view. Now, you get to the next pay-per-view. Survivor Series. Punk defending the championship against Ryback and John Cena, Trouble Threat. And I remember even when, before this pay-per-view happens, I had a feeling it was like, we're going to get a bit of a repeat from SummerSlam, aren't we? Well, someone like that. Ryback gets a shell shock on John Cena, then all of a sudden, three men in black, like outfits and everything, start attacking Ryback and do a triple threat power bo- triple power bomb to Ryback through the announce table. These men were the Shield. Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, Roman frickin' Reigns. All three men took out Ryback. Punk looking like he's like, what the hell just happened? He's like, oh shit! Decides to pin Cena and retains the championship. Then they go with this whole storyline of, oh, is the Shield in cahoots with CM Punk or not? Which never got the full proper conclusion that it should have. But it was kind of alluded to saying that Brad Max is working with Punk and so is the Shield. But that would become a bit of a factor going into Royal Rumble, as I'll get to in just a moment. Now, at TLC, I mentioned this three-part series as well, he was booked to go one-on-one against Ryback in a TLC match. However, right before the pay-per-view... Punk would suffer a legit knee injury and had to go through surgery, and it would be sidelined for about two to th- two and a half, three weeks, because Vince McMahon decided, hey, you're supposed to be out for six weeks, but I'm going to rush you back early, because without even talking to you, on January 7, 2013, Raw, the first Raw 2013, we're going to have that TLC match between you and Ryback, even though you're not going to be 100% by then, but still, we got to do it, because... The match has just got to happen. Even though you got to then get the whole promo with The Rock later on, you still got to have this match, which is kind of stupid. And despite this, he would retain Punk would retain the championship against Ryback. Shield got involved, TLC match, it's whatever. And then afterwards, Punk did the whole promo with The Rock about saying that your arms are too short to box with God. Pretty damn good promo. And then you lead to Royal Rumble. 
the night where the tower reign ends where it's CM Punk defending the championship against The Rock, but Vince Warren saying, if The Shield gets involved in this match, you will be stripped of the championship. The Rock, like, was getting the match, like, about to win. I think Rock was about to win, then all of a sudden the lights go out. Shield attacked The Rock in complete darkness, put him through the announce table. The Rock is just laid out once the lights are turned back on. Rock pulled back in the ring, pin, that's it. But then Vince McMahon is like, hold on there, damn it. And he's like, I know that the Shield got involved, so Punk, you're hereby stripped. But then The Rock stops and is like, no, no, no. You ain't taking the championship. I am, motherfucker. Restart the match. Match gets restarted. Spinebuster. People's elbow. And that's it. The Rock is WWE champion for the first time in over a decade. And the CM Punk's title reign officially comes to an end. So you go through all that, and it was a pretty damn good like WWE championship match. A lot of memorable matches, but... One of the common things that you can all, everybody's pretty much in agreement with, is the issue is that due to John Cena pretty much outshining him being the guy, Punk never really was able to main event pay per views. Because, like, again, look at Elimination Chamber. He was the freaking opening match while the main event was Cena versus Kane with the whole Embrace the Hate feud going on in an ambulance match. It's like, yeah, it's John Cena, but still, that feud was not as big as the WWE Championship, of all things. Especially when the championship is opening the show. So, I mean, it's like, you had some high points, but you also had some iffy moments. But you know what? Longest WWE Championship brain of all, in course of a quarter century, I believe. But it's like, it had its high points, its low points, but it's still a notable WWE Championship match. Or, WWE title reign? Tongue twister. Regardless. So that right there, folks, is going to conclude another episode of the podcast. I've got one more episode in this format. Like I said, similar to the debut episode of the podcast that I'll go through regarding Shawn Michaels. And then we'll get back to status quo, like or the norm at this point of the podcast. But if you all enjoyed today's episode, please remember to leave a like, comment what you thought below, subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure that bell is turned on for all notifications. Or follow if you're listening to this episode on any other service that you may find this podcast available on. And I'll catch you all in the next one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Like, comment, subscribe. Peace out. And good day, everybody.